What's up, everybody? Joseph back with another episode of DFW Creatives, where I shine a spotlight on Dallas-Fort Worth creatives I find inspiring. My guest today is Mike Wyatt. Mike Wyatt is the owner of Full City Rooster. Hello, Mike. Hello. I want to talk to you about creating a community through coffee. You uh, run a coffee shop called Full City Rooster, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not really a coffee shop. It's You call it a coffee roasting studio Yes. and rooster. What's the story on all that? Well, the story behind the name uh, Full City happens to be a coffee roasting industry term, and that uh, Full City is just known as a medium roast. It's a scale of roast. Uh, Rooster was really a typo. I already ordered all the T-shirts and business cards. Yes. Okay. We just stick with it. And um, coffee roasting studio is a tagline because I feel like that's what we do. It's a studio where we create, learn, and experiment. So hence hence the tagline. I I like it. I always get it wrong, though. I think even before this, I was saying roaster. But it actually is really rooster. It's okay. Yeah, because we're talking about it. Hopefully others are, too. Yeah, and you have the big old mural on the side of your roaster. Yeah, we, we, um, the mural on the side of the building was done by a great uh, talent by the name of Sean Starr of Star Studios. And, um, yeah, he's he's world-famous sign painter, letter writer, and uh, I'm blessed to have that. I believe that's – I'm pretty positive that's what got me here. Yeah? I've been coming here for, I don't know, like four years now? How, yeah. You've been open six? We'll be celebrating six years this September. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. I, I still think you guys create some of the best coffee in Dallas. Thank you. We try. But, uh, yeah, the mural, I'm pretty sure that red, you know, with mm-hmm. the rooster on the side just yes. caught my eye, and I came right in. Cool. Uh, so you're a small business. This is the one-off. This is, this is it. Okay. Yeah. What's it like running a small business? Um, as Chris, uh, the majority owner, my wife and partner, as she puts it, you know, business is bossy, and it'll tell you what it wants to be. And uh, it's beautiful. I, I don't think I could work this much or this hard for another company, but when I'm doing it for myself, my family, and the community that comes in, um, it doesn't feel like work. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. It just doesn't feel like I work. You know, this is just uh, something that gets me out of bed. And, uh, yeah, I can Literally put in 16 hours. Literally, with the coffee yeah. and, yeah, the Easily. caffeine. Easily, yes. So you love what you do. I do. And, again, I know it sounds cliche, but this truly is a passion of ours. And we didn't see it going in the direction of a coffee shop um, we our focus was to just roast coffee and deliver the best coffee that we could find, roast and package, and um, through uh, through online sales and walk-ins. But um, after a number of years of requests and just giving away free coffee beverages, we finally decided it was time to create jobs at the same time and hire, train, and bring on others um, to help support that demand which was uh, making espresso beverages and pour overs okay so, so I, I i wish i had met you before whenever you were giving out the free coffee <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but was, uh, i don't mind i love supporting uh, small businesses yeah. how did you get started what what was the what was the original idea um 26 years it's been about 26 years now for uh, it's been the i moved to colorado springs uh, to take on a social work job, which I loved, um, but social work was, I quickly discovered, was not where my heart was. Um, coffee roasting is uh, quickly 
consumed me. So I moved to Colorado Springs, discovered there were three coffee roasters in the downtown square, and fell in love with the process. I, um, I was a coffee drinker, but I was drinking the same thing everybody else was back in the um, 80s and early 90s. I, I didn't know anything other than what you could buy at the grocery store until I moved to Colorado. Um, it was eye-opening. Again, it was, it just, I fell in love with it. So I learned all I could. I started roasting from home, uh, started learning all I could from the roasters there, took on an apprenticeship. Uh, we eventually moved back to Dallas, and I got a job with uh, Dallas's, which I believe, first specialty coffee roaster, which was the coffee company, which started in 1971. Wow, okay. Yeah, so that was the first time I got my there. hands on, uh, yeah. yeah, a ProBot. Where were um, they located at? They narrowed, or they had three locations, and I think up to five locations, up until the master roaster and um, founder of coffee company passed away. And his family narrowed it down to one roastery, which was at Orem and Skillman at the time. And um, that was the first time I got my hands on a large production roaster. From there, um, a couple of times I went to the bank with a beautiful business plan. It was a bit more, it was a, it was, were you it was more a, audacious than this one. Were you wearing like a suit and a tie? No, and I didn't like your have hair to, was slicked I, back. I still didn't own one. At this time, I really, I had like dreadlocks. Smelled like a freshener. And probably smelled like patchouli, <laughs> <laughs> if anything. But yeah. no, yeah, I went to the bank. Uh, they said no, which I'm glad that they did because I needed to learn more about business. And like I said, the business plan was a, it was more audacious than our simplified version today. Um, but I'm glad they said no. And it gave me more years to practice because I, I think it's a good idea as a business owner not to practice on the public. So I had many years to practice at home and um, under the guidance of other master roasters and to learn. And I think a lot of this, can I cuss on this? Absolutely, okay. yeah. You could edit that out. but. Most important thing to learn in coffee roasting is how not to fuck up the coffee. And, and that's what I've been learning in the last 26 years, and I still keep that in mind. Because coffee goes through, it passes through a lot of hands before it reaches us here. Um, so these indigenous parts of the world, some of the most poorest parts of the world spend their entire life uh, producing wonderful coffee. And my job, I feel like my job is to continue the story and not mess it up. So when we deliver a bag of coffee or a beverage, it's, it's the best that we can do. And it'll be the freshest, the best quality we can find, and we'll deliver it in the freshest manner. Um, and I know I'm getting off track, but I'll, no, to no. answer your question, um, yeah, I went to the bank. Bank said no. So I did a few years, uh, 15 years to be exact, in a larger, with a larger coffee company. And I had to join this larger coffee company because while I was with, my son was six months old and we were paying for what was called Cobra Insurance. Cobra Insurance? Yeah, it was so expensive. But <laughs> Sounds a little shady. Uh, yeah, so yeah. we had to buy our own insurance and it was awful. So I had to leave them after six months and join a large coffee company. And I was with them for 15. And Full City Rooster was able to... Um, uh, happen only because of what's called the Affordable Care Act. Once that announcement was made that we could buy into uh, a program to insure our family, we dusted off the old business plan, simplified it, 
went to the bank and the bank said yes and so they loaned us the money to buy the roaster and um, to start this up and so here we are six years later and I think I know I only made that leap because I needed to make sure my kids would be insured and it was all due to the ACA yeah that's actually a really good story Um, or we would have had to wait another eight years you know until our youngest at the time was on her own and covering her own uh, yeah her own plan (laughs) yeah so this was going to happen but thankfully it was we were able to do it sooner you mentioned process a lot of people are interested in the process what's your take oh yeah the process of coffee starts uh, months if not a year ahead of what we're drinking today um the backstory on some of the coffees that we're drinking here is I'm having a, a, s- a large cappuccino. Yeah, large eight ounce. Yeah, it's yeah, as big as they get here. Yeah, it's super uh, big. Mm-hmm. And I'm having an espresso, a single origin espresso. <laughs> so good, so good. Made from Guatemala. Uh, do you, so uh, do you go actually go out and uh, buy your uh, go out into the locations and uh, get the beans? Or? That's a great question. It's a very romantic idea. Um, I do have friends that um, have coffee producing companies and what they do is they support the farmers within the communities or communities that farm coffee. um, They take those coffees on and they produce what we're consuming today. Um, They'll process the coffee, depulp them, uh, they'll wash them or sun dry them and ship them to us. But as a coffee roaster, no, I have not gone to origin to get in the way of what they do best. Um, as a coffee roaster, I stay here and I roast the coffee that I find to be the best that we can we can acquire. Um, yeah, I could tell yeah. right away when I first met you, very particular. I, I yeah. think my first yeah. cup of coffee, you were like kind of just babysitting me. Is it good? Do you <laughs> like it? Is it too sweet? Is totally. it too sour? Yeah, Is yeah. It, it like... And that that got me to consistently come back here again and again and again. It's just your attention to detail and uh, your love for delivering a great product. So you do what you do the best, and that is understanding beans and the beans that work for you and the beans that you want to sell. Yeah, and yeah, I have my interpretation of it, but I also ask you and others, you know, how you interpret it, because that's what really matters, you know. I'm not going to force feed anybody on what's good, what I think is good, because it's relative, you know. Um, but I want to share the experience, too. And a lot of times that is <clears throat> just inquiring, you know, what it is that others are tasting. Um, and there's a, lot of, there's, there's a lot that goes on into it. Yes. What's, what's the process? What, what, say you get a, a shipment of beans in. What, 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 what happens after that? So um, a pallet arrives to the store. Um, we, we can, first of all, we count, make sure that, uh, the right amount of bags, burlap bags and 150 pounds fits in a bag. Um, and then we, I also verify that the, the coffee, the green coffees that are inside that burlap bag is what we had a contract on. So I have a sample of greens, which it might be a quarter pound, but I save those samples to visually inspect and taste against the palate that we just received. Um, so I trust, but you have to verify. And we haven't run across any problems uh, yet, but uh, we sample those coffees against the samples that we um, originally agreed on and had a contract on. So those coffees come in, and then I put them through the sample roaster again. Um, we create a roasting profile for that particular coffee, 
because every coffee that comes through the door is roasted different every time. And so I find a baseline for this particular coffee, like this espresso we're drinking now. I've probably roasted this six to seven different ways to figure out which roast best represents the coffee, not the other way around. I don't want to um, have the same flavor profile for every coffee or same roast profile for every coffee. Every coffee is going to taste different, but uh, we start with the baseline. We make subtle changes throughout the roasting process until we determine which one suits this coffee best to deliver what I liked is a full body, one that uh, you just are, that's rich, uh, medium acidity, nice sweet finish, and chocolate notes. I'm big on chocolate notes. Yeah, you've, you've I like that. mentioned that a few times. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's exactly how I, I feel your coffee tastes. Mm. Like well, just it how you, yeah, it's yeah. really, that really is how it is. It's just kind of like right in the middle. It's of a mm-hmm. sweet spot. Mm-hmm. and uh, it gets me what I need. It's, it's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it's the most challenging roast, too. Um, in the so early days, about it? Uh, well, um, in the early days, 20-plus years ago, we were all doing just very dark roast. That was the easiest. But that was also what you did because quality, the focus on quality at the production level and origin or with the farming uh, community, it wasn't what it is today. Um, and that's a whole other subject, but if you can imagine the farming, say 20 years ago, was you just, you harvested coffee, you sent it out. There wasn't any sorting or sizing, um, and the focus wasn't as great on quality as it is today. So what you would do is roast all the nuances and defects out of the coffee, and you just have a dark roast, and people loved a smoky coffee because they put a lot of cream and sugar in it, and the best way to have cream and sugar is to put a dark roast in it you yeah, get my, smoky my dad loves dark yeah, yeah. he's a Folgers yeah man. yeah and then um and then the focus changed so dark roast is very simple and that's unf- that's how I started to learn how to roast coffee along with many others but that wasn't enough then there was this big transition to um skill and developing and honing your skill to bring the best out of coffee as better coffee started hitting uh hitting dallas at this time um, and colorado we didn't want to mask these great characteristics that were coming through uh, the bean and in order to do that you have to what's uh, what's what we refer to as develop or roast throughout the development phase of coffee so no longer was it just turning them brown going dark and delivering a smoky flavor it was more about developing coffee to, to get dark red fruit flavors chocolate caramel um, you wanted sweet finishes but you wanted something more uh, with your coffee and then another trend started where there was light roast being delivered and marketed Light roast has always been part of uh, the roasting process, even if you don't consume it. And that's what we do for cupping coffees. So everything that would come through as an offer sample, we would roast to a light level only because that was the best way to find defects or characteristics of the coffee. They were magnified. Uh, The aromas were always bigger, brighter. The the acidity levels were always very strong, bold, and uh, beautiful. Uh, but it's not a co- cup that I enjoy drinking all the time, but I do enjoy cupping coffees at that level. Um, but again, we would take it into the medium range just to highlight chocolate notes and body how, how and does, find a balance. How, how do you uh, 
get the smell and, and the, the taste and how do you decide what is what and know what to look for? It's a lot, just like many things. It is a lot of practice and a lot of messing things up, but it's a lot of note taking and journaling and, and cupping coffee with others um, and not getting bit lost within your own interpretation and your own palate, but inviting people that normally don't drink coffee into a coffee tasting or cupping or or experts that uh, have more experience than you we've always had open doors here because I grew up within the industry where we just had open doors because we were learning together and not competing or or uh, turning our nose up to a different style but just learning and going a direction that we chose but um, and we still have that today I still am greatly challenged by others i love bringing others in that know more than i do have more experience than i do and uh have much better palates than i do because um, i learn that way but it is a lot of note taking and it's, it's a, a lot of journaling yeah and it's a lot of experimenting is. and you work with a pretty small crew too so you're you're kind of uh bouncing back off of one another and supporting one another mm -hmm. yeah there's six of us here um I have one apprentice because, again, the greatest way to keep learning is to teach. You know, um, our our philosophy here is, you, you know, you can't keep what you don't give away, right? Just like our old coffees. But the, um, yeah, so I have an apprentice. Um, she's been with us two years. Um, Ashley's been learning all aspects of the coffee business as it relates to roasting within the four walls here. But she also has goals to be become a green bean buyer and travel and uh, spend time in these uh, in these indigenous communities and uh, getting to know them and seeing how she can best influence coffee around the world so she's got big plans but it starts with learning to roast and that's why she's been here exactly yeah. I, I truly believe that as well yeah well one thing I feel blessed to have them here they're, they're family and you know there is not a revolving door um, the people that are here are very special to uh, to all of us. For example, our newest um, member is Najib. Najib came to us uh, last year when uh, the president decided to shut off, you know, um, the borders, and no one from the Middle East could come to the United States. And so, I w you know, just to be honest, I was angered by that. But it's not enough to just be angry without uh, doing something. So w we did what we could and so I invited the IRC the internal uh, the international refuge uh, to send us candidates uh, new new uh, people that were new to the United States so we interviewed 13 people that happened to be from Afghanistan and other places within the Middle East and um, I met Najib he was a, um, a um, an architect he had been an architect for 13 years back home well, in Afghanistan, this is his home now, uh, a 13-year architect. And I knew that our community could help him find a job. If I could just bring him on and help him with his transition here, um, we would be able to find him uh, work within his field. So um, after two to three, it was about three months, he brought his, uh, he was here with his three children and his wife. We introduced him to three to four different uh, architects, and he got a job at a, at a firm downtown full-time as wow. an architect. Yes, but he refuses to leave leave us here, so he's, he, does, <laughs> he does that job full-time. I can't see why. Huh? Yeah, and yeah. then uh, he works here on Saturdays. 
uh, doing, yeah. doing pour overs, pour overs. That's cool. Support. I'm looking forward to meet him. I haven't met him yeah, yet. Yeah, Saturday mornings. That's interesting. I didn't know this about you at all, that you, uh, you're passionate about uh, immigrants and, uh, and other people and other cultures outside of the U.S. W what's your passion? Why are you passionate about that? Um, I think that it's a responsibility we have, you know, as individuals, but that responsibility grows um, when you own a business. I, uh, you know, there's a, I, I believe there's a difference, there's a big difference between being in the community doing business or being of the community. And our goal is being of the community. Which you are. And, um, it takes just uh, thought and you know uh, commitment and just doing the best you can as a business to be ready to take on anything um, that comes your way and um, our goal is not to just like i said be in the community and make profit from this but even if it's not profitable again being of uh, the community and trying to make a difference in the lives that work here or visit us or um, in this case hear about us yeah, yeah, exactly, and yeah. that's uh, essentially why I wanted to talk to you is how you're creating a community, uh, community through coffee, if you will. You feature people in, you feature artists in your uh, roaster, and uh, you do a lot of things for the community, even beyond and outside of Dallas. Yeah, it's 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 very inspiring to me. Uh, well, I'm inspired by people that care and um, that also contribute. And, uh, you know, I try my best not to take that for granted. So um, we do our best to be available to those um, that foster the same philosophy, I, I guess that it is. Um, but thanks for that. Yeah, thanks for the notice. When did you start? When did you start this community? How did you start the community? Uh, we've been here six years. And the Cedars, it's an interesting neighborhood. And I know most of those that are probably listening don't know much about this neighborhood, but it is the oldest residential neighborhood in Dallas. The first of every community Directly started south here. Of downtown here. Yeah, yeah. The first synagogue of Dallas was here in this neighborhood. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. The first of every community started in this neighborhood. Um, today, it's most, uh, I think it's most known for its art, or its collection of artists that live and work within this neighborhood. And, um, I, you know, I wished I could say I had the foresight or I was savvy enough to know that the, this neighborhood was going to grow, but um, I didn't. I just, you, you I was the, looking for a space to roast. The coffee shop is the first one to start there and then the community. That's right. There's after. been some research on that. Yeah. 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 And, so yeah, yeah. something's happened. They followed your lead. I don't know. I wished I could take that. But <laughs> like I said, the, there's a wonderful barbecue store, shop next door owned by Clarence uh, Cohen's who's been there 26 um, years. Super good. I love yeah, the Baby Back Shack. And uh, he's been there 26 years. So he's seen a lot. Then there's a, um, a great neighborhood dive bar behind us, Lee Harvey's. Seth, I believe, has owned it 13 years. Yeah, I love me some Lee Harvey's. It's yeah. a staple so, in Dallas. Yeah, there's some wonderful... Like I said, staples, and it's it's really people that love what they do, and they anchor. You know, uh, they weren't looking; they didn't do demographic studies, and you know, these were early adapters and risk takers. You know, and it's so diverse, and that's what attract. That's what I was attracted to was the diversity of the neighborhood. I think that's why we're going to be here for a long time. I love this neighborhood through its growth, through the growing pains, and um, yeah, again, it's the diversity, and I hope we don't lose that. 
So tell me about supporting local artists and the businesses around. I'm extremely grateful for the the artists that live in this neighborhood and the, those that don't. We have a lot of people that visit us from outside of the area. But, um, yeah, the art that we display here is uh, a gift, I, I feel like. We have some, uh, I'm thinking of the Bywaters family that... Uh, loan us pieces uh, from Diego Rivera to um, original works from uh, Jerry Bywaters himself and also a Basquiat, a signed Basquiat, you know, that hangs on the wall. Um, They're wonderful pieces. Uh, we're, yeah. we're actually recording here in the back and uh, where most of the pieces are hanging and it's, it's stunning. You have a really good eye for picking out very interesting art. And I love that you've uh, you've even had my work featured in here yes. for the uh, was it the yeah, Cedars? Yeah, we're honored. The Cedars Open Studios tour, which I believe was in its was it second or sixteenth year. Se okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, well I'm semi. It's the new biggest to this day area. of the year in this neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, thousands of people uh, come out 16. to visit studios. Yeah, 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 yeah that's what yeah. I meant to say. Yeah, but um, yeah, wonderful art shared with us. We don't um, we love to share it as others do. Um, a lot of the art is for sale. We don't take commission on it. Look, because our, and people have argued the fact, you know, artists have said, no, you need a commission. And no, we don't. Our rent is paid. You know, we're not buying wine to have an, an art opening. Yeah, you know, again, not, going, going back to the community. Yeah, we don't, we don't yeah. need commission. So we don't take commission. All we do is we introduce the artist to the patron in hopes that it's more than a transaction. They get to meet each other and discuss it. And um, so, yeah, we don't, we don't take any checks or cash. The artist does that with the patron. And, and relationships are formed there, hopefully. How do you go about that first interaction with some of these, inviting them into your world? Do they just, they want coffee? You know, uh, coffee like, you does go, that. And then you just start talking. I th that's one of the things I lo love about the coffee industry. It fosters communication. And, you know, like this conversation's more than coffee related. And same with talking to artists. It's not just about their art. It's about making a human connection. And really coffee fosters that um i think about it some of the greatest relationships happen and things have happened over a cup of coffee and it's not the coffee itself that gets the credit i think it's the un unsung hero right yeah yeah so totally. i i think that and what i try to what i teach others is that you know you if we can deliver a great product every time people will trust us that it's going to be good every time they, they drive 15 minutes out of their way, 20 minutes. Some people come as far away as Prosper, Texas, which I think is 45 minutes to an hour away. Yeah. And it tells actually, me they yeah, trust us, that's right? That's maybe over an hour, actually, yeah. away. That's way up north. Yeah. And then you also have created multiple platforms for people to talk. You have a, a thing uh, called uh, Truth in Common. Oh, we host tell Byron Stamps. He's, he's brilliant. So Byron Stamps has created a program called uh, Truth in Comedy. Tick for short, T-I-C. Um, he came to one of our music events, which this backspace turns, it converts into a listening room. And um, I didn't think Dallas was ready for a listening room. And I'm not, it's not a critical thing to say, but it is, uh, or I'm not criticizing. But yeah. we're used to, you know, musical venues being a social event, right? We like to go and talk continue to socialize on our phones I agree, yeah. or 
you know, um, just walk in and out of shows. And it, and there's a place for that, and there's a time for that. But we were booking with the help of a very talented person, Lily Taylor, um, booking beautiful sets in the back space here because the acoustics are great. And it was set up as critical listening. So um, you would pay the artist at the door. You'd come to the back space. The seating was arranged in a way that uh, circled the entertainer or the musician. The doors were closed. The phones were asked, you know, you were asked to turn the phones off and savor the music and the experience. And um, it was great because, again, it was all about that relationship. It, but in this case, it was a relationship, an intimate relationship between the musician and those that were here to listen because it is so close and tight. And the artist often told me it was intimidating because if they made a mistake, the people could yeah. hear it, you know. So, um, but it it created an honest relationship between the musician and the, the patrons that were here listening. And so Byron was here for that, and he said he fell in love with the space, and he said this is where he wanted to create and launch Truth and Comedy, which is a uh, it's two parts. It's one part storytelling and one part comedy. He has three storytellers paired with three comedians, and. Um, the storyteller, well, it's, they usually share a very personal or tragic story, and um, the crowd will applaud them. There'll be 50 people. There's 50 tickets. It sells out at 50. So after the person tells their story, people applaud them, thank them for their story, and the comedian is introduced, and they do their 10 to 15-minute stand-up based on that tragedy. Really? But it's not in a shaming that's good, way. That's creative. I like it, that. It, and it's beautiful. I think it's you, you witness healing. You know, You see someone be very vulnerable and share their tragedy and then someone not poking fun at them or the situation but finding a way to find humor and uh, I love that They're and like it's not improv healing yes and, yes and, and bonding yeah, yeah, yeah that's the best and uh it's like it's not improv they have I believe Byron gives them two weeks they they he makes the introduction the the person shares their story with the comedian and then they work together on crafting a uh, stand up based on that, but uh, it's a it's a roller co it's an emotional roller coaster, but finding uh, the I don't know it's I I find it again relationship based you know the the people on the stage have a relationship with those in front of them they have to because they're extremely vulnerable, and I believe that those are that are listening feel as vulnerable because they feel like maybe. They don't know them, but now they do, you know, oh, and, yeah, and yeah. their feet, they're just like five feet away from them. There's tears in their eyes, tears in the storyteller's eyes. And uh, and then you go through the laughter. And you're all laughing together. It's an amazing night. So, yeah, I, I encourage you to come. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, definitely. They sell out so quickly. They yes. sell out within a, a couple hours. Uh, well, at times, that they, at times they do. But uh, if you ever notice that it's the tickets are on uh, online for sale, I recommend you get them by the Thursday before the Saturday show. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll encourage people to mm -hmm. uh, to follow you and follow... Uh... Byron Stamps, Truth and Comedy. Uh, the next big show we're putting together is art that's been created by the homeless of Dallas. Because I think that goes overlooked. We have... Um, yeah, we, we have, have a big homeless problem here yeah, in Dallas. Yeah. And we have some wonderfully talented artists that happen to be homeless and... Um, how, are, how are you finding out about these so people? So through the Stew Pot, which is an amazing program downtown, they offer 
services. They don't house the homeless, but they offer services from dental work, uh, getting, obtaining their IDs. They got email voicemails for the homeless. But the coolest thing is they have free studio space supplies and gallery space for the homeless really yeah a lot of many talented people have found themselves in that situation i think we're all just one bad decision away from or you know being homeless <laughs> one bad rose, yeah one bad something photo, some, yeah we're, whatever you do for a living <laughs> right but um so we want to our next exhibit will be um, um from artists that happen to be homeless and uh, there's the stew pot has a great program and a huge collection of wonderful art from Dallas homeless. Did you seek this out or did somebody contact you or it's it's some it's I've known of people that have worked there I've volunteered there and I've been aware of the program through um, First Presbyterian downtown and um, yeah it's a program that we like to support and uh, I would like for people to see uh, the contributions that many of these people have made to the art and um, the community has made to them by supplying you know, the, the accessible supplies and That's studio space. That's so. wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to that. That's really wonderful, Michael. Yeah, it's a, but yeah, it's a great program. So hope to, hope that others learn more about the stew pot. Are you going to give any of these uh, homeless uh, a, a mic? Uh, this will be yeah we're going to have to a, a, a traditional art, art opening yeah we're going to have an opening and hopefully they'll be here to show the and speak to their art okay when yeah. when you do i'll i'll put that oh thank you yeah yeah too. we'll send yeah. the invites out yeah that's really amazing wow i'm really kind of moved on this um what what other stuff you got going on within the community so uh yeah another great thing full city rooster we're most proud of at the moment. The city of Dallas has recognized us and rewarded us, and this just came out, um, a gold medal for green business. Whoa, our efforts with, uh, yeah, lowering our impact on, uh, yeah, the environment. So they came out, they audited our business, because they heard about some of the things that we were doing to uh, divert garbage. And uh, so anyway, they were, they were, yeah, very excited. We are too now. But they're going to be shooting a small video and sharing Whoa, it with others on our website. Awesome, yeah, it's man. cool. So gold medal. Gold medal for green business. Yeah. Yeah, that's, we need more of those green businesses here. Yeah, so, yeah, I agree. But it's, yeah, it's interesting that. Uh, I think it's a, a lot of the new people that are running the city now. They, mm-hmm. they definitely care about the city and the community yeah. like yourself. Mike, I really want to thank you for coming on, and I, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed having Mike on here as well. Till next time, this is Joseph. Stay creative.